I've been fundraising for over 20 years. And the one thing that keeps coming up is that our donors are getting older and we're not really replacing them. But everyone wants that next generation of donors. And we can read reports about how they give less or fewer of them are giving. But at the end of the day, we have to figure out, I don't think those people are apathetic. I think they're just doing things differently. And if we want our organizations to continue to meet the needs of our communities, kind of have to figure this out, right? You're listening to The Small Nonprofit, and I'm your host, Cindy Wagman. We are here to bring you practical, down-to-earth advice on how to get more done in your small nonprofit. You are going to change the world. We're here to help. My guest today is Emily Taylor, and Emily is doing some really cool work that I feel like we all can benefit from, but it's kind of, I want to say like cutting edge, just sort of like a new way of, of looking at things that we don't always have the language for in our sector. She has language for it, though, because she's been doing this in our sector and outside. Uh, Her company, Teeny Big, does strategic listening for small nonprofits. And really, strategic listening is helping you understand and make sense of your audiences. And this is such an amazing approach. I feel like I've been doing this without maybe not without the rigor of someone who practices it professionally, but this is how I approach fundraising generally, like know your audience and the answers will come. And I've seen this from programming and I think it's really aligned with how we want to be in the world as nonprofit leaders, but we don't always know how to follow it. So we are going to talk about that today within the context of this next generation of your organization's supporters. Because as I said, I think this is something that organizations have been grappling with at least for the past 20, 25 years. I'm sure much longer than that. Also, fun fact, Emily is a formal visual designer. And so she makes really cool holiday cards and uh, amazing Halloween costumes. Emily, welcome to the podcast. Thank you, Cindy. I'm such a huge fan of the holiday cards. You just showed me for our listeners who may (laughs) be of the same era. You just showed me last year's, which was you recreate album covers like with your family. And last year was the whole album cover. So what was the name of the album? Celebrity Skins? Live Through This. Celebrity. Anyways. There you go. So if you like those references from <laughs> yes, the mid-90s. Yes, we've now dated ourselves and it's, <laughs> it's tons of fun every year to, to come up with our next one. I love it. So Emily, you heard my introduction. I think that organizations, this is like the t- tale as old as time. We need to engage a younger audience, but we can't figure it out. Why is it so hard? Well, you know, as much as, you know, there's some aspect where people are always the same and, and you know, we can motivate people in similar ways, but but there are things that change generationally. And and you can see that I talked to so many organizations where they're like, well, last year, our average donor age was 65. And this year, it's 66. Well, next year, it's going to be 67 if you don't do anything. And 
And I know there's very proven strategies of, you know, your existing donors are going to be the easiest ones to get back the next year to grow. But that strategy can only last for so long if you're not bringing in those younger donors and bringing down that average age. And so we just, it's just something we have to have our foot in. Otherwise, we're going to lose it. And I, and I think just, you know, for me, working in the for-profit world, I see how much companies, for-profit companies are investing in understanding audiences and listening to them, that people are, are used to that. And so in the nonprofit sector, you know, our donors are living in that world. And so we have to start to figure out how do we get more specific for them, bring, bring in, um, you know, listen to them and understand what are their specific needs um, because they're living in a very different world than previous generations. Yeah. So is it fair to say it's not as simple as like creating a TikTok account um, and doing the viral videos that, you know, we fundamentally seem to lack an understanding of that generation and their motivations and why they care about our work? Yeah, well, I, I think there's two paths here. There's there's the general trends. People are using, you know, people use more video. People are more on social media and which social media has younger audiences. But those are just the trends. The other thing that's going on is that people are getting more and more niche in their interests and their the way they're communicated to. You know, if you think of Nike, you can like go and buy the exact color customized shoe you want to and have it delivered to you. You know, you can you can buy into these lifestyle things. And so for nonprofits, that that other area is like, well, what is your specific younger audience, you know, into? What are how do you how do they connect with you? Are they, you know, really active and, and want to be involved? Do they like specific aspects of your story that you've maybe told in a different way? And so those are the kind of things that we can discover to change how you're communicating with them. It doesn't need to be a huge shift, but if you're not listening to them, you're not niching down and and really understanding who they are. Yeah. And for those Canadian listeners, we say niche, but we understand. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. So let's talk about how we figure out, because I also have seen so many organizations just be like, okay, well, we'll hire an intern who's of that generation and we'll give them the task of managing our social media and it will all be great. But of course that doesn't work out for so many reasons. I mean, you might get more traction on social media, but you can't expect like an intern to build a comprehensive strategy around growing your donor base. So Let's talk a little bit about what is like why strategic listening gives you the tools to be able to understand the audience as opposed to, or what would be an alternative, I guess, just like making assumptions. Yeah. I mean, making a lot of assumptions or basing something off of an intern, you know, a (laughs) a sample size of one, I like to say. You know, the, those are some of the the downsides of going that direction. But when we're strategic about it, you can start to think about exactly what you're trying to do. You know, are you are you just trying to grow the people that are connected to you? You know, people on your email list um, who are following you, or do you want to bring them? You know, actually turn them into donors, which is going to take time. 
you know, people don't instantly just, you know, come in and donate as much as we'd love them to. So, so applying that strategy for exactly what you want younger people to do with your organization is going to be really helpful. And what strategic listening can do is, you know, first you formulate the research around what you're trying to do, and then you can go out and actually talk to people and, and really try to understand what other behaviors I've done in similar situations, where else are they donating? What are they doing with their time? Um, and you can start to paint a picture of, of who those people are, find that, you know, see the patterns in what they do. And that allows you to, to, you know, maybe there's something in there that you could try something new or, um, you know, a different activity you could, you could, um, put together to help lead people towards that ultimate goal. Mm-hmm. Can you talk to me a little bit about, like, I feel like people are more comfortable with like, okay, I'll go research something or I'll look at, you know, I'll compare to what other people have done. When it comes to actually like asking directly, right? Like, okay, where else do you give? Is that what you do? How how do we do this? Like, I just assume it's that. And I could be making yeah. a wrong assumption. But when I think of this, I just think like, okay, let's go to the source and hear what they have to say directly. What are those inputs? How do we start to think about, um, about collecting information? Yeah, well, and there's, there's two things going on there. There's the quantitative data, which is very comforting and easy to say, okay, you know, this, the people in this age range checked this box or did this task. And, and those things are, are really great, um, great data points to layer into the work that I do, which is more qualitative. And so what that quantitative data doesn't tell you is why, mm. you know, what, what was it that someone saw that made them click that donate button or what, story, you know, what email um, did you send out? What what about a story kind of got them to that next level? And so this talking to people is really how you get that why information. Um, and it can be a little scary because, you know, as I mentioned before, you don't want a sample size of one, but you can't <laughs> talk to 200 people. It's just not a good use of your time. And so what we do in qualitative research is really look for patterns. And ultimately, there's been a lot of um, research shown where you can get 80% of information out of five people. Um, And so, you know, that's not 100%. But, you know, what we're looking for is just information to build our database of why, of why people are are making these decisions, where they are, the things that can't come out of a real quantitative survey or or analytics. And you can keep diving deeper. So I always suggest for small nonprofits who maybe haven't really delved into this, you know, you don't need to do 10 different segments of your younger audience. You just need to understand them generally better. And so you can talk to, you know, 10 to 15 people and start to see patterns in the way people are responding, what's motivating them, what's, what's exciting about your organization. And then some of that stuff I was talking before, where are they, where are they getting other information? How, what are their current behaviors that you might not be able to see otherwise? Okay. I have a few questions. 
I think before I ask the first one, I want to just underscore, like, I think people overcomplicate, like, how do we ask the questions? And I just want to say, like, I feel like you just gave us five to 10 questions that we can be asking. Is that fair? Like, as you said it, like, can we just say, tell, I can't even repeat what you said, but I'm like, I want to go back (laughs) and listen to that because it's like, yeah, what are your motivations for giving? Like, is it that simple? Yeah, I think there's different ways I'll structure questions, you know, leeway for interpretation, the better. Um, mm. So something I might do, you know, if you want to understand what motivated some someone, they might not be able to remember exactly what they did unless you show them, you know, like, here's this email, what stands out to you about that? But you could, um, like, what do you first remember about our organization? Mm. Tell me, tell me a story. And even if it's not the exact first thing that they saw it's what their perception or their memory of so then you start to realize like that is something that like dug a little hole in their brain and, and stayed there and so those are the kind of things you want to be able to recreate if those mm-hmm. things are resonating with people i love there's a, a book called the power of moments by chip and dan heath that i love they were brilliant yeah and and you know they talk about disney world and how disney is like just such a you know, so good at creating these moments that even if you have a bad experience, your overall memory is positive because they they kind of hit the hit those positive moments at the right time and, and you kind of forget about waiting in line for three hours for things. <laughs> Ooh, so yeah, that's such a good reference. They are incredibly prolific writers. I feel like those two. Um, they have some great books. So, okay. So we can think about some questions that we can ask and it gets sort of like behind the action, like what's going on in someone's head and heart, um, as they engage with us. The second question I wanted to ask you is where do we find these people? Because I feel like it's a simple question that can hold a lot of organizations up like are we picking the right people how like how do we figure out who to talk to where are we finding them how are we asking them to participate yeah that's that's a great one and and the thing that's been cool is every organization I've worked with has has a starting point for this and this is I mean like you're always gonna want to get to know your younger audience better and better but to start you know, who's who's the youngest people <laughs> on your donor list? Start there, even if they're you know in their forties, which is still you know very youthful. We're young. Um, <laughs> <laughs> you know, start there because that might be your younger donors. You know, maybe that's who you know you're just have a a people need to be of a certain age to really care and have the funds to to support your organization, and that's fine. It's lower than their you know sixty six. <laughs> Average. So, so start there and talk to them and understand them. But there's also a whole um, host of people to mine that might just be lurking or who haven't donated yet. So um, between your email list, between your social media, you want to find a way to, to get those people out. And so one of the strategies I've used um, with clients is we'll, we'll send out a survey to those groups. So post it on social media, post it to the email list. And in that survey, you know, we can have people choose how long they've been following the organization, what level of relationship they have, and what their age is. And then you know you can either ask questions 
within that survey that so you can segment and understand, you know, how did those particular people answer differently than the group? But you can also just reach out to those people. It's actually something I posted about today is, you know, you can just direct message people. You know, if you if you know certain people are you know, kind of in that group you want to understand better, message them and ask for 15 minutes of their time. And if we're just talking on the cheap, like once a week, do that once a week. By the end of the okay. year, you'll you'll talk to 50 people and and you'll really have a great understanding for how those people are different than how you're currently, you know, campaigning and messaging to, to donors today. Amazing. So, you know, we talk about starting with donors uh, and the youngest ones you have, and then maybe going to people who haven't given. Can we ask them why they haven't given? Or how would you start to uncover what motivations they might have for giving if they haven't done it in the past? Yeah. And that's, that. I think that's one of the, the wild things, again, that makes sense to me because I didn't, I have not like lived my entire career in the nonprofit world, but not everyone thinks about donating constantly. <laughs> um, <laughs> what? I know. It's, don't big, it's like, what? And so you can ask that question, but I think a better approach would be, you know, are you currently donating today? Because someone might think of donating as volunteering mm. or, or a GoFundMe. And, and so you want to first understand what is their concept of donating? Then you can dig in a little deeper to why, you know, if your concept is a GoFundMe, what made you support that? that organization. So it's, it's good to like rely on people's past behaviors because we all want to donate more and, but we're not all going to. So mm-hmm. that's a good understanding. And, and you can also ask, what do you feel like is most important or vital about our cause? Because really what I find here is younger donors tend to, to have a misunderstanding of what an organization actually does especially, you know, this, this might be just a general trend that I've observed is not nonprofits are getting more complicated as they try to get to the root causes of stuff. Mm -hmm. It's not just handing out sandwiches to people who are hungry. It's affecting policy that has gotten people to that place. And so it's more complicated and you can use this listening to understand where those gaps are, not to switch your you know, your activities back to something that maybe you're not advocating to change how we deliver yeah. service. Yeah. Yeah. It does not mean, you know, it's not a too many cooks in the kitchen. You got to do exactly what they say, but that tells you that you have an information gap that you need to teach these younger, this younger audience of why your work might not be exactly matching up what they think should be done. Mm-hmm. Are there questions that we shouldn't be asking. And I'm going to say that and questions that people often unintentionally lie when they answer. So I'll give you an example. Mm -hmm. I feel like sometimes we ask people, you know, how often do you want to receive our newsletter? And they'll say like once a quarter, but we actually look at their behavior and they open it there's a higher higher open rates when we send it every week or something like that. Like I think that 
there i'm not i think i we know that sometimes people's perception of their behavior is more idealized than what their actual behavior is or sometimes skewed and so yeah is how do we build for that or are there some questions that again people kind of commonly misremember and so they don't answer in a way that's helpful or accurate for us yeah, let me, okay, I'll address both those, those <laughs> questions. So the first one is, you know, what do you like? You know, like just mm. having a really, that that's sort of a, a no for me is like asking a question where you're kind of letting people just, it's not openly fill in the blank, but just, um, just give their preference without a real direct um, meaning behind it. And I'm going to hopefully articulate that a little better, but it, it's just a very vague question and you're going to get a very vague answer. Yeah. And then to your other question of, you know, people remembering behaviors that, that kind of goes back to, you know, you're going to get the perception of someone's behavior mm-hmm. uh, of what they remember, but not necessarily an accurate prediction to the future. And so this is where bringing examples can help. You know, would you like to, is which days are most free for you to attend these events and you can put specific dates. It doesn't mean they're going to come, but you've at least chosen the dates that are, you know, that you at least have an idea of the dates that don't work for people. But the other thing I, I like to bring up is, you know, when we talk about qualitative research and asking people things, there's this famous, you know, I say quote, because I don't even know what the exact quote is anymore, but from Henry Ford, it said, Oh, if we ask people, um, what they wanted, they'd ask for a faster horse yeah. instead of a car, which was ultimately invented. And I think sometimes people misinterpret that quote as like, well, then we shouldn't ask people things. Mm. But no, people asked for a faster horse. And you know what a faster horse can be is is a car. And so the intent was there. People wanted something faster. Faster. They yeah. They want to get from A to B to B faster. <laughs> and so... That's part of this research is you have to not take things so literally, but understand the intent behind it. So maybe, you know, they asked for a more frequent newsletter and they're not opening it, but they want more information. Yeah. Uh, They want to be updated, Mm. but, but maybe something, you know, the way their behavior is in email just isn't, you know, it's it's just sort of delete, 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 which is tends to be my. Maybe you want to do SMS or, you know, direct message in social medias or yeah, there's lots or forget your like five article newsletter. Maybe you try a five sentence email. Like there's so many ways again, like to that point, I love that Henry Ford example because a, he's got some great one-liners, but also, you know, people could have been saying, well, I want to be more comfortable you know, they could, we, we look back and we think that's obvious that people wanted to move faster, but that's not necessarily the case. Like there are so many ways where we can transport people differently and speed happened to be that one. So I like, I love that. Um, and yeah, same thing. Like, I think we sort of assume, well, if it's a newsletter again, like maybe we do it the way we've always been doing, but that might not resonate. So. I like that. Yeah. And so it's, it's finding that, that intent and then 
what I would usually suggest to be strategic about it and step would be, we'll find a few different ways to deliver that intent. Mm. You know, maybe Henry Ford could have had a car, a spaceship and like a submarine and, and try those out. And then, you know, people would be like, yeah, that car. <laughs> um, but you could, you know, and then your newsletter example, you could try, you know, putting less information in each email. You could try, you know, different ways of connecting people. You could try bolder headlines to make mm-hmm. sure they realize this is totally new information. But you could start to experiment with different ways of getting them that intent, which is more information about your organization. Awesome. Okay, we're running out of time, but I want to ask you about biases. Mainly, well, for so many reasons, but I love talking about biases. I coach around biases and fundraising and um, for leadership, but it also comes up in how we inquire and study things, right? And so, which is what we're doing here when we're doing strategic listening, it's, it's research, And so understanding our biases or identifying them, I think will really have a meaningful impact in terms of the quality of the research. Tell us a little bit about, I mean, let's start with what our biases because uh, not everyone knows. And then we'll talk a little bit about how they show up. Yeah. So, so biases are ways we interpret information differently than someone else might. Um, and you know we're all human, so we all have them. But yeah, they they happen quite a lot, and and I think this is actually one of the pieces of the puzzle of of getting younger donors is a lot of times if we have a bias to do things as we've always done because they've worked in the past, it is going to be hard to listen and understand what might be needed to to reach that younger audience. So. I think the, you know, we understand a lot of, we see a lot of like racial bias. I know that's something that's talked a lot, age bias, ability bias. Those are all things that are in our vernacular, but there's a lot of biases we have um, just because of the cultures we've grown up in, um, the, you know, that maybe the age groups or the, the media we track in that is just making them more and more prevalent. And one of the ones I see quite often in the nonprofit world is the, the curse of knowledge. Mm-hmm. Um, and this is tricky because, you know, it's because you're smart and capable and experienced that you have this bias, but it makes it really hard to unknow what you know. Mm-hmm. And there's, um, it probably is in another <laughs> in Danny's book, but there's an experiment you can do where you pick a common song and then, uh, clap that song to somebody. So it could be happy birthday, uh, you know, whatever might be something that, you know, that people know and see if they can guess the song and it can, it'll sound so clear in your head. So obvious. You're like, it, and it's, like it's just like, it sounds like nothing to anybody else. <laughs> um, it just sounds like a bunch of clapping. So that, that kind of just gives you a sense of the curse of knowledge is your brain takes things that you hear and see and makes quicker sense of it than it does to someone else, someone who can't see those connections. And so in your particular mission, you have language that you use, you, you know, you talk about support and that's really clear. You, you know, give us some money and, and, you know, you talk about sustainability and it's really clear what you mean or contact us and you know exactly what you mean, but other people don't 
and you know, I'm not even talking about complicated, you know, intellectual language. I'm just talking about words we use all the time. And so that curse of knowledge, especially even just nonprofit speak and knowledge, is a bias that we have to, you know, listen to other people and to understand what doesn't make sense to them so that we can overcome it. I love it. So yeah, I mean, I think it's obvious by this conversation, but this process is applicable to many more audiences than just the next generation of your organization's supporters. I mean, I think that that's, again, such a critical one for people to be thinking about, but can you give us like couple other examples of where we might use strategic listening to in, within our organizations? Sure. There's a couple of projects that come to mind. You know, one, I, I was actually working with an organization that was trying to, um, they actually had a lot of new, new audience that came in, but they were losing some of their more, um, their longer term audience. So we did the similar process and really understood what what was important to people who had been with the organization a long time and why they felt it was changing in a way that they were were pulling back. And not only to pull back, but also to lead this newer group up the engagement ladder so that they had these super volunteers, these people that were, you know, doing plan giving with the organization. So it really helped us understand what that difference was between people newer to the organization and longer to the organization. And then another example, I've been working with an organization that's, that did a lot of change over the pandemic. Mm. They work in, in affordable housing. And so we use this listing to really help understand, well, who do people think this organization is now that it's changed? What it's taken on so much, what should it be doing? What shouldn't it be doing? And so we use listening to really help them paint that picture of themselves um, and decide is that is that who they want to be or do they need to shift in the future? Awesome. Emily, where can our listeners learn more about you and connect? Well, I'm very active on LinkedIn. So you can you can find me at Emily Taylor on LinkedIn uh, with Teeny Big. Um, and then I also I put together a, a worksheet on biases to really help you understand and look out for these different biases as you are listening to other people. So I'll have Cindy post that link uh, with with this as well. Awesome. Thank you so much for sharing all of that. I think it's, I, I think that it's such an important part of what we're doing as organizations. And I think there's so many ways to do it. Not great. And you've shared so much uh, behind the scenes wisdom with us. So thank you. Yeah. Thanks for the great question, Cindy. And of course, to our listeners, thanks for joining. We'll see you next week. Well, folks, that's it for today's episode of The Small Nonprofit. I'm your host, Cindy Wagman, and this show is brought to you by The Good Partnership. As a reminder, if you want more resources around raising more money for your small nonprofit, visit thegoodpartnership.com and download our free fundraising strategy guide. I'll see you next week.